Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Alongside the big outbreak of wildfires across New Mexico in April, hundreds of firefighters have made their way out to dangerous situations this season to protect people, homes, and public property like forest lands. All of it has happened amid historic winds and very little moisture out there. Perfect conditions for wildfires to explode. So who are the people willing to put their lives on hold to do this work? This week, we're talking to a wildland firefighter, a guy who makes a living in some of the roughest outdoor settings as a hotshot for the Santa Fe National Forest. How does someone get into this work? What's the pay like? Are there enough firefighters? And what's it been like on the ground so far? Those are just a few of the questions we posed to him this week. Here's our conversation. With us on the line today is Adriano Rodriguez. He's the saw boss and squad leader with the Santa Fe Hot Shots. Adriano, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh yeah, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you've been a wildland firefighter for quite some time, 13 years, and most of that spent here in New Mexico. First, I wanted to ask what drew you to this profession and how did you get into it? Both of my parents were wildland firefighters. My dad was a wildland firefighter as well as my mom. So I was kind of always raised around it. And um, I grew up in Cuba, New Mexico, which is a pretty small town. And uh, one of the big job opportunities, you know, when I was younger going to school was, uh, was wildland firefighting. You know, it worked well with my schedule. Most of the time, you know, that we work is during the summer. So when I was off college, I could go and work there and then, uh, you know, make some money and I'd be done in time to go back to school. So we mentioned off the top, you're a saw boss and a squad leader. I, I have to ask you, I, my mind goes, you know, something. Chainsaws. Or something. Yeah, chainsaws and I, I don't know, movie embellishments, I suppose is the best way to say it when I think saw boss. But what does your job entail? What is a saw boss and squad leader? On a hotshot crew, you know, there's typically three squad leaders. Um, two of them, they drive the crew carriers, which are you know, the big green vehicles that hold most of the crew members. And then uh, the third squad leader is typically the saw boss. And they're in charge of organizing and supervising the saws when we're out on the fire line. So a lot of it, you know, is just based on, you know, the terrain, fuel type. And, you know, we kind of dictate how many saws we're going to use for that day what kind of cutting pattern, you know, we're going to use and then uh, what has to be done as far as what needs to be cut, what doesn't need to be cut. So it's kind of just uh, it's coming up with a game plan for the saws as they, you know, progress when we're putting in fire line or, you know, prepping roads, stuff like that. So for those who don't know, you know, when you think about saws are obviously it sounds like a big part of the job. You mean like taking a chainsaw out there, cutting down, I presume, trees and vegetation that might run a risk. Am I correct in assuming that? Yeah, 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 that's correct. You know, and, and not, uh, and it's not always cutting down trees, you know, it could just be, especially, you know, in the forest, they're pretty thick and a lot of fuels are already on the ground, you know, so it'd be like cutting up logs into smaller pieces so we can remove them and carry them out of the way. It could be brush, kind of cutting up brush, limbing trees too, just kind of raising the canopy on trees, you know, we call them ladder fuels, basically kind of minimizing the potential of the tree torching out I see. or catching fire, you know, from the ground and moving up the tree. There also is felling trees as well. You know, there are times where we have to cut trees, uh, especially dead standing trees, since they're more uh, susceptible to catching fire. So 
removing those is part of it. And then as well as sometimes we have to cut trees that are, that are also on fire. So a lot of it, you know, is developing skills with the crew members, kind of teaching them how we do things on our crew specifically, but then also, you know, just trying to teach them, you know, correct ways and ideas that we use to, uh, to minimize uh, fire behavior kind of along our line there to make it more, more secure as we're putting in handline. Wow. So you guys are literally the ones like in the path of the fire. You said you're sometimes moving trees that are actually on fire. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are times, you know, when we have to do that. But I mean, typically, if we can get close enough to it, the fire is not as extreme, you know, as you see on a lot of pictures and, you know, videos and stuff like that, you know, where you're seeing these hundred foot flame lengths. A lot of times, you know, it's a it's a more moderate fire behavior, you know, maybe like two foot flame lengths or three foot. But yes, sometimes we are we are closer to the edge of fire. But so I wanted to ask you about that. Anyone who's been watching the news or weather lately has heard about the wildfires already breaking out across New Mexico early this year in mid-April. Because we are really dealing with uncontrollable uh, and potentially catastrophic fire behavior across the state. This is we mentioned here on the podcast that overall the climate, you know, has been warming. It's been super dry here across the state. And the especially high winds that we see in April are not helping with these fires. A large chunk of the state under a high wind warning. That's that shade of orange there. What does this mean for you and your guys? And are this year's challenges unique to other years that you've seen? Um, definitely. I mean, I just got back from a fire. I was on the uh, Hermit Peak for a couple weeks. This one in the Santa Fe National Forest, northwest of Las Vegas. That fire started as a prescribed burn and quickly got out of control again because of those winds. And um, I have Personally, you know, since I've been doing this, I've never had a full fire assignment of 14 days start at the beginning of April. Like this is one of the earliest starts for me in my career that I've ever seen. So, you know, if that's any telltale sign of how the rest of the season's going, you know, it's probably not a not a bright outlook. But um, yeah, it's definitely a lot drier this year. Didn't seem like we got as much snow, and this wind definitely creates challenges four firefighters. We're catching you on an off day. We understand you could get called in kind of at a moment's notice to go out and attack a wildfire. What is it like to be sort of on call during these dry months? You know, are you able to even plan anything? No, no, there's there's really not too much planning. I mean, when we get back from an assignment, we're on a unavailable days off, which means, you know, we aren't on call. So days like today, I can plan, I can go have some fun, you know, hang out with my wife and uh, kind of enjoy my days off. But during the summer, when I'm on call on a day off, it's pretty much, you know, I got to be within, a, within an hour call back to work. So, you know, I just kind of hang by my phone and, you know, do things that are close by. I don't really get too far out of out of pocket, so to speak. When it's so windy like it is now, I mean, we've seen wind gusts of 60, 90 mile an hour winds in southeast New Mexico when the McBride fire broke out, for example. How do wildland firefighter crews deal with that? Like, what are your guys up against this season when you see winds like we've seen? Wind definitely influences fire behavior. You know what I mean? You can uh, get a lot more extreme fire behavior. It likes wind. So, you know, having wind on fire typically increases it. But um, the big challenge is, you know, is we lose some of the tools that we kind of, that we get used to using. Helicopters, airplanes with slurry or retardant, that sort of thing. You know, you can't use them when you're getting these high winds. We lose those tools that really help us fight the fire, so to speak. So, you know, it kind of becomes, okay, well, we can't use this. So now what do we do? You know, we have to kind of adjust the plan. And then not to mention, 
you know, just being out in the woods with these high winds makes it more dangerous just because of the risks of, of trees falling down and, and those sort of hazards as well. You mentioned being on call, waiting for a call to go out and find a fire. I'm curious, you know, I know some people deal with anxiety in their, their day-to-day desk jobs, you know, like, oh, I don't want to go into work. Does it make you anxious at all waiting for that call at all? Or is it kind of an exciting thing for you? I would say it's exciting, you know what I mean? For the most part. I mean, obviously, you know, I kind of miss being home and that stuff at times, but I mean, for the most part, you know, I, I really enjoy my job and I enjoy being out there fighting fires. When I get a call, I don't really, it's not really anxiety, but it's more like, okay, where are we going? What are we going to do? You know, that, that sort of thing. I'm just kind of curious about which fire we're headed to, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say anxiety. It's probably mostly excitement. On top of the excitement that you mentioned, like the adrenaline and pushing yourself physically and mentally. I mean, you guys are also like, you know, protecting a lot of communities when you see, you know, um, homes burning and things like that. Do you, do you guys ever, do you ever take a step back and kind of think about it in that way? What is, what does that mean to you? I think about it occasionally, but not as much as maybe, as maybe other people do, you know, you know, obviously it's, terrible you know when you see structures lost or homes you know but uh it's it's definitely a good feeling you know when you do work that does save you know people's homes or such but i mean it can be gratifying in that aspect for sure but when you're out there it's kind of hard to think about all that stuff oh, you for know sure. like it's yeah. kind of you know you're trying to you're trying to kind of just do your best work you know at the task at hand you know and sometimes you're involved in being around those structures but um a lot of times you're not so you know, it's kind of, it's definitely different when you are in that situation, you know, and there are homes and stuff around. Yeah. It's, it's always good when, uh, when everything goes right. Yeah. You work in a really unique field. Uh, historically wildfires are considered seasonal though, right? You were not fighting fires though year round necessarily when we consider that seasonality, but I know we all have said that Fire season seems to be creeping more into the colder winter months. What do you do in sort of those off months? Uh, do you have work to do other jobs or whatnot? Do you take it easy? I, I mostly take it easy. Um, you know, I kind of, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy hunting, fishing, you know, that stuff. So I try to do that. Um, and then just kind of hanging out with family and catching up on the time that I miss during the summer, mostly, you know, and then, uh, pretty much just staying in shape for the next fire season. That's about the winter months for me. It does sound like you have to be in good shape. You're talking about moving trees and logs and chopping down things. Can you describe for me, what is your crew like? How big is your crew? And really, when you talk about the winds like this and and your toolbox, what do you guys do when you get to a wildfire? Like what's your first move and, and what is your crew like? I believe there's 22 of us on the crew this year, you know, and, uh, I would say I think 11 of us are, you know, considered permanent employees, even though all of us don't work year round. Everybody on the crew has has a specific job, you know, so we kind of all rely on each other to complete their job to ensure the success of the crew. Um, as far as kind of the first thing that happens when we get to a fire, I mean, it's it's all pretty organized and structured. So, you know, there's always somebody in charge. Typically, they give you a briefing. You know, there's a plan that's being either already kind of developed and we're just there to implement it or we show up. And if it's a early ongoing incident and they don't completely know how they're going to proceed yet, then sometimes we get in in, uh, you know, developing a plan. But um, it's pretty fire specific. You know, we don't always do the exact same thing every time, although there are a lot of similarities. Um, it's just kind of it's just dependent on where the fire is at 
how can you access it and you know go from there just trying to find the best the best plan to ensure you know the most success while still limiting you know the potential hazards or you know threats that could uh that firefighters could encounter. There's a lot of threats on your job, and and I would imagine that it is not for the faint of heart. Do you think there are enough wildland firefighters? Is it is it hard to recruit people to do this work? And and maybe how how does that happen? That recruitment. I would say they could probably use some more firefighters, <laughs> but um, you know, as far as recruitment goes, it's it's kind of interesting. You know, we got people from all walks of life, from all areas, all over the U.S. and how they kind of find it it's always it's always interesting you know some people they grew up in the southwest so they've always kind of you know seen wildfire um folks from out east come out here but you know they have a background in like conservation corps or americorps you know something that's kind of given the how would you say it um gives some structure i think i think of when i think of americorps right they're in a team structure some exposure to the to wildland firefighting you know but uh people just kind of come from all walks of life not really sure how everyone how everyone finds it but you know for the most part it seems like there are few people who do it long term you know we see especially on on the crews that that we work on i mean our seasonal employees if they stay for four or five years that's a long time you know a lot of folks do it for a couple years have have some fun travel around and then they move on to something else so i'd say retention is probably definitely an issue you know you don't see too many people who come along and then stay for a long duration. Why is that? And maybe I can ask you a personal question, but feel free to, you know, answer how you choose, but does this profession pay well when, and it, you know, because it's seasonal, does it come with health insurance, things like that? It pays well, you know what I mean? It's given me a, it's given me a good life so far, so I can't complain. Um, you know, as far as the seasonal employees, yeah, they do get the uh, opportunity to get health insurance and uh and other benefits although you know they don't get to participate in contributing to any retirement or anything but while they're working for the for us they do get the opportunity if they elect to to get health insurance and that sort of thing during the months they're working when you talk about like permanent versus seasonal employees you mentioned only some of your staff is permanent does that mean like once fire season is over you know and the monsoon kicks in these people go out and get other jobs? Some of them, yeah. I mean, typically our crew is available from middle of April to about the end of September. So it's about six months that uh, that everyone's working together. And then after that, you know, some people, they go out and find another job and work. Um, other folks, you know, they just save up their money and go on vacation and do other things. But uh, like I said, it's kind of kind of dependent of uh of who the person is specifically but i mean typically in this job you kind of get people who like to travel and who like to spend some time off you know with the money they save and go uh go travel around is there like entry level wildland firefighter positions or can you go straight in and be like part of a hotshot crew is that kind of like an elite group of wildland firefighting typically to get on a hotshot crew you already had to have some prior experience i mean there are rare occasions when you know people do get on crews and they don't have any prior experience, but those are typically years when it's hard to hire folks, you know, so you're not getting the, you're not able to hire people with a lot of previous experience, but for the most part, by the time you're on a hotshot crew, you know, you got a few years in fire, you kind of know more or less what to expect. And then pretty much most of the jobs on the crew, as far as seasonals go, they are, they are entry level. They're not rated any higher than other seasonal positions in the forest service. They're just on a more elite, you know, kind of, kind of wildland firefighting crew, so to speak, as far as like a pay difference or 
anything like that. It's it's not really like that. It's still the same, still the same classification, just a different unit you're working for. But you can make enough in six months to not have to work the rest of the year? Yeah, sometimes depending on the year, you know. I mean, pretty much the majority of the money that we make on this job is all based on our overtime. So the more we're gone and the more fires we see, you know, it's going to be a better it's going to be a better year. It's hourly. And then, uh, you know, overtime is time and a half of your base pay. And then, uh, and then you get hazard pay when you're on fires. For those who don't know a wildland firefighter in their circle of friends or family, what is it like for your family? You mentioned you have a wife. Do you guys have kids? And how does your family adapt to your unique schedule? Um, well, no, I don't have any kids. And uh, my wife, she's, she's very supportive. Um, like I said, you know, both my parents, they were wildland firefighters. So they kind of, they understand how it goes. And then, uh, I'm also lucky enough that my wife's father, he, uh, he was a wildland firefighter as well. So she kind of grew up around that scenario. And so she's kind of, she's, she's really understanding and she kind of understands how it all works. So I'm kind of lucky that, um, you know, that my spouse has already had previous exposure to this life, so to speak. It sounds like uh, fire runs deep in, in the roots of your family and in your wife's family as well. Yeah, but I mean, it's definitely, definitely a commitment. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it takes up a lot of your, a lot of your time in your free time. You're always kind of busy either having to work out or, you know, do something to kind of prepare yourself for the job, whether it's trainings or anything like that. So it's definitely, definitely a pretty heavy commitment, I feel. So in the next couple of days, you could get called out for, is it two weeks at a time, like minimum that you're called out for? And then are, are you guys just camping in the woods there next to these fires? Yeah, it's kind of, kind of dependent. Most of the time, you know, we are, uh, we are just kind of camping out, so to speak. When we get these larger fires, they set up what they call a ICP, which is like an incident command post. And they have like large camping areas, typically fields or something like that, where, you know, folks can kind of put up their tent or throw their sleeping bag down. Every now and then, you know, there are rare occasions when we're traveling and stuff, we get a, you know, we do get some time in a hotel or whatever, but, but for the most part, you know, we're kind of camping out in the camps or, you know, closer to the fire if, uh, if it's necessary. And as far as the time frame of how we're gone, typically it's 14 days. We'll be on a fire for 14 days. And then, you know, depending on how long it takes to travel to and from, then those are additional days that are added on to those uh, two weeks that we work on the fire itself. And then how many days off in between before you're called again? Uh, they actually just changed it this year. So we now get uh, three days off afterwards. What did it used to be? Two. Two. Okay. Wow. So an extra a day. A short weekend and then two weeks at a fire. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah. So it's a quick, pretty quick turnaround. I think of the, when I went snowboarding once, uh, probably 12 years ago. And after that day, my entire body hurt for about three <laughs> days. I can't imagine being out on a fire for 14. So kudos to you. That's, it's hard work, man. And, uh, it is certainly recognized when you really get a chance to speak to somebody like you, who's, uh, doing that work. So yeah. incredible. Is there anything else you, you would want people to know about the profession that perhaps you maybe think is a misconception or you just would want to put out there? I mean, I'd say for the most part, you know, the job is, the job's really fun. You know, it's a, it's a pretty good opportunity to uh, develop leadership. I mean, I've met some people who are really truly leaders, um, which I probably would say I wouldn't have met in another profession, you know, and then the opportunity to develop and build a team, you know, being on a crew and the camaraderie that comes with it is it's pretty special. You know, I've met a lot of good people, met a lot of good friends, you know, and if, uh, if folks are into, you know, pushing themselves physically and mentally, it's a, it's a fun job. I mean, you can really, you get to see a lot of places. Um, you get to travel a lot and go to places that probably most people will never go to. 
So, I mean, my experience has been has been really positive throughout my career. So you're not just really traveling within New Mexico. You could go out of state. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hotshot crews are a national resource. So, I mean, we'll travel anywhere in the U.S. that has a fire. You know, it's not uncommon to go to California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, Arizona, Nevada. I think I said Nevada. (laughs) So pretty much anywhere, anywhere on the West. Wow. You know, it's pretty, I think I've been to all those states at least once fighting fire. So Adriano, thank you so much. We appreciate you taking the time to tell us about your, uh, your profession here and wish you the best of luck out there. Cause it sounds like, uh, you could be going somewhere pretty soon. Yeah, I would, I would imagine so. And yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity. Canyon Hermit's Peak Fire is quickly becoming one of the worst fires so far this year. It has become a beast that is not slowing down. The Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon Fire grew tens of thousands of acres overnight and is now threatening the city of Las Vegas. A mega thanks to Adriano Rodriguez for talking to us this week and to administrators with the Santa Fe National Forest Service for helping coordinate this interview so we could bring it to you this week. We're back again next week with another episode, but one wanted to have a quick addition about our last episode, which was on free college. We do always encourage that listener feedback, and we definitely heard some about that episode. Diego wrote into us with a pretty substantial thing that we did not explicitly cover in the audio of the episode, that being about the Opportunity Scholarship. One of the biggest caveats on if you can access that scholarship is if you already have a bachelor's degree. People who already have bachelor's degrees cannot get another one under the Opportunity Scholarship. Yeah, that is a pretty big caveat. And we have that information in our episode description about free college. That was last week's episode. We've also included all of that information in our colleagues article about how the Opportunity Scholarship works, which you can find that link again in our episode description and on krqe.com slash podcasts, our website. We also want to emphasize if you have a bachelor's degree already, the Opportunity Scholarship does not apply to you. So that cuts us out of the mix, Chris and I, but we realize there are a lot of New Mexicans who don't have that first degree and still can apply and receive that scholarship. So we definitely want to keep encouraging people to write in. If you notice things like this or just want to give us some feedback, send it in. I'm Gabrielle.Burkhardt at krqe.com via email and gburknm on Twitter. And I'm Chris.McKee at krqe.com through email and on Twitter at ChrisMcKee. TV. Thank you to Diego for listening and sending us that feedback. And also thank you to everybody else for listening.